This today uh, uh, follows kind of suit with the last two weeks, not in that we're dealing with the end times. Today is something totally different, but, but that we're actually uh, dealing with uh, a topical discussion. Generally, we have a passage of Scripture that we break apart and we dissect so that we know what God has to say to us. But today uh, follows the last two weeks where we're just dealing with a particular topic. And this week, the topic, we're just going to call it the three don't statements. The three don't statements. Uh, I, um, I came across this study in an unusual way, I think. Number one, there's been a thought rolling around in my heart for the last few weeks, and, and I was trying to find a place for it. I was really struggling with where to put this thought because I knew, for some reason, I knew God didn't want it to stand alone. I knew that there was something He had to go with it. I can't explain that to you, how I knew that. I just knew that that was the way it was. And so I just kind of kept thinking about it, and it, it certainly brought some incredible thoughts to my mind. And... Man, I tell you, I wish you could have been in there a few weeks ago as I was rolling this around because it really, to me, was a, was a huge deal. It was a big deal. But then this past week, I met with uh, Ralph Kanzler. Ralph and I were talking, and um, if you don't know Ralph, 92 years old? Are you 92 years old? Be 91 years old. Don't push it, right? 91 years old. Be 91 years old in January. And you're talking about somebody with a passion for God. And this guy's got it. As we were talking, he said, I want to read something to you. And he read a very short little thing to me. I'll tell you more about it in a little while. But uh, as soon as he read it, I'm telling you what, it just, it was a, an oh wow moment for me. I knew... God had something in that for us today. And so I told him, I said, if you would allow me, what I'd like to do is go home and pray about this throughout the day and through the night and into tomorrow. And if I still feel God leading me in this direction, what I'd like to do is call you and ask you if you'd be willing to read that to the church. And uh, sure enough, God continued to impress that on my heart. And so I called Ralph and said, would you mind reading that to the church? And at some point you'll get to hear it in just a little while. Uh, and he said, I would be glad to. You're going to hear his passion and his heart for Christ when he reads this to you. And it's pretty amazing. And so as I brought that out, I, I found that, that God was leading me to pull these two thoughts together along with an additional thought. And, and it happens occasionally to where three things come out of a study and to me, it just appeared that these were unconnected thoughts. I don't really like that. And I kind of like to, to have that flow going. I think that's, that's easier to understand. It's easier to follow. At least it is for me. But I really felt that that's what God wanted. These three don't statements. I thought that that's what he desired. And so as I've done before, okay, well, I'll just bring these thoughts together. But as I studied them and, and dug into them a little bit deeper, what I came to realize is they're not independent thoughts. They are very much dependent upon each other. In fact, the first thought, the one that was rolling through my, through my heart this past few weeks, is the one that kind of sets the stage for everything. Uh, if you miss this first one, if you don't have the first one in place, then most likely you're going to miss the next two as well. It's just the way it is. 
And so I want us to take a look at these three. If you've got your notes ready, go ahead and get ready to write. Let me just throw the first one out here. The first don't statement is don't forget whose you are. Don't forget whose you are. Now this is a, an interesting thought for me because I can remember now back to my teenage years when, and my brothers will remember this as well, when we were getting ready to go out, our dad would stop us and it really didn't matter if he knew where we were going or he thought he knew where we were going, if you know what I'm saying. Um, he would always stop us and he'd say, boys, don't forget whose you are. Now at that age, I assure you that really didn't mean that much to me. It didn't make a big impression. It wasn't that I despised it, but I just didn't find it to be very impressive in my life. But as I've grown a little bit, matured a little bit, as my walk with Christ has grown, I've come to understand the significance of that statement. That I belong to God. What an incredible thought. In 1 John chapter 3, John is writing to the church and John says something which presents to us his astonishment with the statement. Now think about this with me for just a second. This, this is the guy who was a disciple of Jesus Christ. He walked with Christ. He listened to his teachings, the incredible teachings of Jesus. I mean, he was hearing God talk. This was the guy who walked closely with Jesus and got to experience his miracles. I mean, can you imagine walking up to a person that's eaten up with leprosy and hearing Jesus say the word and the leopard becoming clean again? Walking up to a person whose hand is withered up and Jesus telling him to stretch out his hand and it's made whole just like the other. To speak to someone who's deaf and they hear all of a sudden. To touch the eyes of someone who's blind and they see. Can you imagine getting to experience those miracles firsthand? To watch Jesus Christ at work. To me, that's an incredible thing. John is the one who, in this same book, 1 John, begins to say, And we beheld the glory of the only begotten Son of God. We got to see Him. We got to touch Him. We got to walk with Him. We got to hear Him. We beheld His glory. We were there with Him in person. And I can hear his excitement and I can feel the enthusiasm as he speaks. And to know that it is this guy that has seen all of this and done all of this that now is speaking from a level of astonishment that he can't even believe himself. It's hard for me to put into place that there could be anything else that could astonish him. And yet notice what he says in this verse. John, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. He says... Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. What manner of love? What manner? He's questioning because it's not an earthly type love. What manner of love could this possibly be? It's nothing I've experienced short of Jesus Christ himself dying on the cross for me. I've never seen this anywhere else. What manner of love is this? That the Father has lavished upon us, poured out upon us, bestowed upon us. That we should be called the children of God. Oh my. It's my favorite verse in all the Bible. 
God has poured His love out. John, when he speaks of that, was so astonished. Oh my, God loves me enough to take a vile, disgusting sinner like me and give me the incredible right to be called His child. Isn't that amazing? No wonder he was astonished. It astonishes me to stop and think about it. That God would lay out for me, pour out upon me such incredible love that I could be called his child. You know, I'm so afraid sometimes we miss this. That we get concerned about being known or liked or appreciated or in the circles of some people. Throughout my life, there's been times when I wanted to, to be in the circles of someone who maybe was rich or, or in the circles of someone who had power or authority or prestige or fame. I wanted to be close. I wanted to be seen as one who was in their circles. That's the way I wanted to be known. And as I stop and think about that now, the astonishment of the fact that God would allow me to be in His circles. That God would not only say He knows me, but would claim me as His child is an overwhelming concept. The one who not, has, not only has a lot compared to the world, but who has it all. The one who has all power, all authority, all prestige. This is the one who says, I love you so much, I'm going to make you my child. The one who holds my life in his hands. The one who holds today, tomorrow, next week, next year, and all of eternity in his hands is the one who knows me and loves me and has called me his child. That is an astonishing concept. But now here's the thing. We've got to get this. We've got to master this concept. We've got to grab hold of the fact that we are in the same circle as Almighty God. Not that we deserve to be there, but that through His kindness and His love, He's taken us worthless sinners, forgiven us through the sacrifice of His Son Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, and claimed us as His own child. I am astonished by that. So don't, just don't, don't miss that. Don't forget whose you are. But now, as I told you, these are so interrelated. Uh, point number two brings us to the concept where if we miss the first one, we're probably not going to get this one either. And here it is, your next fill-in just simply says, don't whine. Don't whine. I told you that uh, Ralph had read something for me and uh, it really made a huge impact on my life. And I want him to read that to you now. And you're going to see how it plays into this point and you're probably going to understand why I felt so impressed to make it part of this discussion today. Ralph, thank you. A little poem. <clears throat> Lord, forgive me when I whine. Today, upon a bus, I saw a girl with golden hair. I envied her. She seemed so gay 
and wished that I was as fair. When suddenly she rose to leave, I saw her hobble down the aisle. She had one leg and wore a crutch, but as she passed, she smiled. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two legs, the world is mine. I stopped to buy some candy. The lad who sold it had such charm. I talked with him. He seemed so glad. If I were late, it would do no harm. And as I left, he said to me, I thank you. You've been so kind. It's nice to talk with folks like you. You see, he said, I'm blind. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two eyes, the world is mine. Later, while walking down the street, I saw a child with eyes of blue. He stood and watched the others play. He didn't know what to do. I stopped a moment and then I said, why don't you join the others, dear? He looked straight ahead without a word. And then I knew he couldn't hear. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I have two ears, the world is mine. With feet to take me where I'd go. With eyes to see the sunsets glow. With ears to hear what I'd know. Oh God, forgive me when I whine. I've blessed indeed. Indeed, the world is mine. I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. I will not whine. Thank I don't really know if I was having a pity party that day or what, but for some reason that really spoke to me. And uh, I got to thinking about why we whine or why we shouldn't whine. And I came up with four reasons. Uh, you might want to jot these down if you'd like to. Number one is because of what the poem just said. There's usually, in fact, let's just say there's always someone worse off than we are. There's always someone worse off than we are. Sometimes it's the person we're complaining to. Number two, I think we sh should not whine because most people don't really want to hear it anyway. <laughs> Number three, here's where we get a little more serious. Well, it's because God told us not to. God told us not to. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Paul is writing and he says, 
Do everything without complaining and arguing. Do everything without complaining and arguing. You know, that's awfully difficult for us humans, isn't it? Because we just really enjoy grappling about stuff. I, I'm convinced that some people think their spiritual gift is just that, complaining. <laughs> and yet God says, I want you not to complain. Not in the good, not in the bad, not in the great, not in the horrible, not in the joyful, not in the painful. I want you to not whine and complain. There's one more, and I think we have to tie this back into the first point. We shouldn't whine because of whose we are. Because of whose we are. How important it is. I told you that if you didn't get the first one, you'd have a really tough time with the second one. And it's so true because as I recognize who God is to me, as I recognize how much God loves me, as I recognize how much God, God protects me, meets my needs, then really, what right do I have to whine? And you know what I've come to understand is that even when the bad and hard and difficult and sorrow-filled things happen to me, that God, even in His great kindness and mercy for me, is looking out for absolutely what is best for me. The next verse you see on your study guide, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. All things work together. So what does that mean? That means that Somehow, even though I may not see it, I may not recognize it, I may not understand it, I may not like it, somehow what God is allowing to happen into my life and what God is causing to happen in my life, He is using it and maneuvering the pieces to bring about what is absolutely best for me, either in this life or certainly in the life to come. God is at work in my life. So then when I understand that God loves me so much that He would embrace me as His own child, and that He loves me so much that He's acting in everything that happens in my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, He's acting in it all to bring about what is absolutely best in my life, it removes any need and it removes any right for me to whine. Because when I whine, you know what I'm saying? God, you're not doing your job very well. When I complain about what's happening in my life, God, you're not doing your job very well. Now, let me just take a little side strip here. Because I understand that there are times when we are overwhelmed with grief, we're overwhelmed with fear, with anxiety, with whatever else may be going on. And in those times, I think God listens to us. He hears our heart. He knows our heart already. But He's open to us griping and telling Him about it. God, why is this happening? But I think there's an attitude that's included here to where it's an acceptable thing 
or one that isn't acceptable. An attitude of understanding, God, this is just me talking out of hurt right now. This is just me overwhelmed right now. Thank you for loving me through this. Thank you for working in my life to bring about what is best for me. And as we will see in a little bit, God also forgive me for my whining. Well, there's one more thing I want to throw out for your consideration, and that is that not only should we not forget whose we are, we should not whine, but I think another way of saying don't whine is don't be ungrateful. Number three, don't be ungrateful. Don't be ungrateful. If you take a look at the last verse listed for you there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. Paul is writing and he's saying, In everything, give thanks. Oh, here we go again, right? The good, the bad, the ugly. In everything, give thanks. How is it possible for me to give thanks in everything? It's possible when I recognize who God is. It's possible when I remember whose I am. It's possible when I come to an understanding of what God is doing in my life and how God is at work in my life, maneuvering the pieces to bring about what is absolutely best in this life and especially in the life to come. God is at work. You say, well, that's a really neat thing to say and everything, but uh, I don't really see that this is something that God expects out of me. Well, then let's read the rest of the verse, and I think you will. He says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and for me, that we give thanks in everything. Everything. We give thanks. Everything. It's the will of God. Regardless of what else may be involved in the will of God for our lives, we know for certain that giving thanks is part of it. Giving thanks is part of it. That's what God expects out of us, that we be thankful, grateful people. That we understand even in the horrible times, the difficult things that are going on, that we still pause to say, God, I don't like it. I don't even appreciate it, but I'm thankful for it because I know you know what you're doing. I don't. Your ways are not my ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And God, you know what you're doing. You know what you're up to. You know why you have allowed this to happen. And so God, I just, I'm just going to trust you in the middle of it. Don't forget whose you are. Because when we remember the significance and the value of being a child of God, then it changes every other thing about our lives. And as a result of knowing who we are, don't whine. Don't be ungrateful. But simply trust God. So what do we do with this information? Here it is. For those of us who are children of God, I think what we do with this information is pretty clear cut. That we want to get to know 
the one who claims us as his child. We want to get to know him more. And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, that is also pretty clear cut, I hope. We get into his word. We study the word of God. We dig deeply into the word of God so that we can come to understand who God is more. So that we know his promises. We know his love. We've seen his acts of kindness toward us. And we can embrace that on a deeper level than we could before we understood. And so we dig deeply into his word. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we get down to confessing. God, I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe you'd say I've whined a little bit, or maybe you'd say, you know, I seem to do it all the time. I just seem to be a complainer, and I'm sorry. I know what that says, that you're not doing your job, and God, I know better than that. I know you are. Please forgive me. And God, you've, you've told me to be a grateful, thankful person, and yet sometimes I find myself being anything but that. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so grateful that you're at work in my life. For those who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I, I hope that it's become clear to you what you would do with this information as well. That you need to know the one who adopts people just like us. You may say, well, I'm not worthy of that. You're right, none of us are. You may say, well, I've just got too much sin in my life. There's no way he would embrace me. You're right. You, you, humanly speaking, there's no logic for why he would. But even as the Apostle Paul said, he said, I am the worst of all sinners. And yet God has brought me into the family. God is wanting to receive you as his child. And so this morning, what you would do with this information, I, I pray, is that in just a few minutes when I ask you to stand, the instrumentalist come, Jason comes to sing, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the message. If you want to know Christ as your Savior or you'd like to know more about that, then my invitation to you is just simply to step out and meet me right here at the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out or call your name. But we will share the good news of God's simple plan of salvation. If you'd like to know more about it, will you come and meet me? If God's leading you to be part of our church family, if God's leading you to be obedient to the matter of baptism, and by the way, if you're part of God's family and you've never been baptized since your salvation, you can understand God is definitely leading you to do that. Otherwise, you are living in direct disobedience to God. And so if God's leading you to that and you want to start either one of those processes, would you just meet me at the front and let's start it today. Would you do that?